0: Welcome to Cyber Signups, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 you can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to this week's episode. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you're listening, um, welcome. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Jamie Madigan, who runs a podcast called The Psychology of Games. Um, And I'm a great believer in uh, Why Have a Dog and Bark Yourself? I don't want to go down the route of kind of explaining to you um, all about games and everything. My podcast is slightly different, as you know. Um, So I was pretty stoked to begin the next three episodes that you're going to listen to will be in and around gaming. Um, So Jamie has uh, done a book called Getting Gamers. Um, He also runs a podcast and he's got an amazing website, uh, details of which will be in uh, the show notes. And he has an enormous amount of research on there about gaming and added to Amy Orban's podcast last week. We're going to, well, are we I'm going to give you a couple of episodes where you can really get to grips with um, the, the benefits of gaming, the positives, um, the good aspects, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, um, because I'm sure you know that this is something that I'm wittering on about. Um, before I start going back into the crazy side of uh, cyberspace and the Internet, Um, So enjoy this episode, Um, unfortunately I couldn't ask everything that I wanted to um, because questions just fell out of my head to be perfectly honest Um, and I'd love to be able to interview the next three episodes all over again Um, and I am bringing back some uh, regulars because some of the episodes that we will be diving into this year will get a little bit difficult um but that's the that's the stuff I've still to bring you um so for now enjoy this episode and obviously head on over and listen to Jamie's podcast um it's he he interviews the academics it's absolutely amazing at learning all of the different aspects about gaming why we do what we do the psychology behind it hence the name of his podcast um and For those who do listen to kind of my recommendations, Rob Reed is back on um, with his podcast as well. So he took a short break and he's back up and running, um, which, again, it's another fab episode or fab podcast to listen to. Um, And I'll see you all next time. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Jamie Medican, who is also another podcaster. And I've been really, really keen to interview Jamie and uh, among others and the people that Jamie's interviewed uh, because the podcast that you do, Jamie, is called The Psychology of Gaming. Yeah, that's it. And it's all about um, psychologists that you've interviewed and they tend to come from uh, lots and lots of domains. It isn't just um, gaming. So I think one one of the episodes I might ask you about, actually, is the one where you had about 25, 30 questions. And, and they were literally oh, right. that people had sent in to you. Um, I must admit, I haven't watched the DND one yet. Um, so, one. Um, so what I'm going to do is just basically give a little bit of background to um, uh, the psychology of gaming. Pog is is kind of how how it's referred to. That you also yep. have a Patreon page, um, so like myself, people can go over to your Patreon page and get um, inside information lots and lots of bits of research, which are also on your website. And I'll be putting all of this material into the show notes, but you've also written a book. I, have. So, I think what I'm going to do is give you the, the half an hour to an hour to try and squeeze in all 40-something episodes and your, book, <laughs> and your website about why why gaming is such an interesting topic and why it's got so many different facets.
1: Sure, that so, sounds great. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I I started doing uh, the websites going on 10 years ago. So it was like in 2009 uh, that I started doing the psychologyofgames.com website. And, you know, at the time, I just felt like I had been doing a lot of reading about, um, you know, psychology and social psychology and behavioral economics and sort of some of those related fields and thought, wow, this kind of explains... Why these game design tropes keep coming up, like why you know why does every game include like a progress bar? Why does every game have this concept of leveling? Why do they direct us to interact with people in this way? and these basic psychological theories you know that have been around forever and in social psychology and cognitive and organizational and you know all these different corners of of mm-hmm. the psychology world kind of explain why these things keep coming up, and then there's also they can answer some of the questions about why do we behave the way that we do, you know, when we play games, like why are some people toxic online when they play games and other people are more cooperative. And so I thought like some, somebody, somebody should write about this stuff. And so I decided to start doing it myself since there wasn't a website out there at the time like that. And uh, so I just kind of started doing it as an experiment and it attracted an audience and people started writing in, And I really enjoyed doing it, so I continued on. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, had amassed kind of enough uh, information under my belt and research that I decided to write a game about this, uh, write a a book about the same topic, about the psychology
0: of video games.
1: And uh, that's getting gamers the psychology of of video games and their impact on the people who play them. It just came out in paper book. It's done um, fairly well. And then about the time the book came out, I thought, Man, like reading text is for chumps. I'm I'm gonna start talking into a microphone, like all the cool kids are doing these days. So I started the podcast uh, back then, and I do about an episode a month of the podcast to kind of keep it manageable and and to keep from running through all the topics. You know, if I were to do it every week, I feel like I'd be uh, I'd run out of sort of guests to, to book on the show. So I get people sort of time to do new research and have people back on to talk about what they're doing. Yeah. Um, So I've I've got 40 something episodes of the podcast up on the website. Um, you can, you can check out and the format of the podcast is, it sounds like a lot like the format of of this podcast is where I find an expert and I, I have him or her on, and I ask questions about a specific topic. So each, each episode will have a specific topic. So there may be one about like addiction. There may be one about uh, you know aggression. There may be one about like how do we measure people's motivation, intrinsic motivation in games, and how do we uh-huh. how do we figure out what types of games people are interested in? Like what are what are like the different ways to categorize uh, people, and how does that relate to personality? So it's it's a lot of these sort of psychology uh, topics that overlap with either you know how games are made or why games are made how they are. Uh, why games are marketed and sold and mm-hmm. priced as they are, mm-hmm. and then sort of the general question of why do we behave as we do when we play games. So yeah. those are sort of the three major types of things that I, I try to get people on to to talk about. And you're right, the guests that I've had on um, have included, uh, I've been really lucky, they've included a wide variety of people. Um, so I have academics, you know, people who are affiliated with universities who are doing yeah real good scientific research on, uh, psychology and video games and, and they'll come on, they'll talk about a paper that they published recently or, or something in the news that's going on or a book that they they've got coming out. I've had, uh, people who work actually in the gaming industry. So game developers, um, uh, marketing people, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I've had, um, like uh, people working in behavioral health, so clinicians and psychiatrists and and people who you know, work use video games to work with their patients and their clients and their families uh, to to try to work through things or or enhance their therapy mm-hmm. and and their treatments yeah um so it's it's been a really cool wide variety of things, and it's psychology, but I also have people from neighboring fields like communications uh, economics um, uh, computer human interaction uh those those types of things as well so you mm-hmm. know if it if it addresses those three questions of why are games made the way they are why do we behave the way we do and why are they marketed and sold how they are that i'm you know i want to have the person on to talk about it
0: yeah yeah because i think you started with uh, andrew shibilsky didn't you mm-hmm. yeah right
1: been on a couple of times and yeah. he's done some great research
0: so I, um, as I said to you before we started recording, I'm trying to explain some of this to the practitioners that I talk to, mm-hmm. um, the parents that I work with. And what I actually found was I, I kind of can work with the children when I'm in therapy because I understand, you know, if somebody says to me, oh, DLC, Kath, and I go, okay, so how much did you pay for that? Was it free? Was it so on? And it, it's this language that sits between me and the other adults. Now, mm-hmm i' I'm, I'm not an avid gamer i do I do game um, I'm pretty crap according to my children who are now adult <laughs> um, but there's something about I'm really interested in much much more than gaming but i have I have noticed that since we got into this big video game debate since we got into the debate around addiction you know um, the the whos gaming disorder issue which i am i'm fighting like mad to be an advocate for the children to say actually this is not a thing, this is why it's Mm -hmm. not a thing, this is why it's a different thing. Um so that was my intention to bring you on the podcast and say, okay, so how about how about we look at kind of some of the episodes that you have done so that I can Mm -hmm. take a little bit of an explanation and go a bit further. Um so I've spoken to Pat Markey in the past and we've talked about um violent video games. I'm aware that Andrew Shabilski does a lot of that um I've done an interview actually with uh Amy Auburn so that'll be coming out about um mental health and kind of contradicting some of the the myth that that is currently out there but for you what's been the most interesting episode you've done so far
1: wow choosing a favorite child huh uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's uh yeah that that's tough I think some of the most the most animated and interesting ones that I have done recently are around the, the gaming addiction uh, issue, um, the violence in video games issue. Um, because that like the violence in games issue was one that, um, I didn't like when I went into that, when I first started to research it, when I was writing the book, I felt like, you know, yeah, I kind of don't, don't really know what's going on. And this idea that violent media can encourage violent behavior seems credible to me. But, you know, I wanted to go in and actually see what the research was and really ended up changing, you know, my mind uh, for the most part about sort of the effects of violent media, especially violent video games on on kids. And, you know, having uh, Patrick uh, and Dave uh, Ferguson, Chris Ferguson, thank you, Chris Ferguson on who wrote a book called uh, Moral uh, Panic or uh, Moral Combat Combat. Combat. recently. Uh, and they came on and talked about that and did the research. And then, you know, trying to give like the other side that's typically, uh, you know, in the camp saying violent media causes violent behavior, fair shake, of really getting in and understanding what their research is and what it says. And, you know, the, and it, as far as the theory goes, it makes sense. But in terms of support for that theory, there's just not what. I assumed might be out there when you actually took a look at the research.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so those
1: conversations were real fun. I like I liked having those guys on. Uh, I enjoyed um, talking with uh, game designers um, who I had. Uh, what was the, I, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, where we talked about player empathy and, uh, and, and game design, uh, Jason Vandenberg, who, who yeah. is a, a AAA game designer. And he had actually kind of gone into this whole process of mapping personality traits onto different game genres and different preferences for games. And I really enjoyed that conversation because here was a guy who didn't have any training as a psychologist, but he was really curious about the same kind of questions that we are. You know, like, what's the psychology behind this stuff? What, what can you map onto a theory and, and use practically, you know, in your work, in your work of designing games and marketing mm-hmm. games. And that conversation was really interesting because I kind of got to see how he arrived at, at his conclusion uh, without the benefit of, you know, a, a graduate degree, you know, a PhD or a master's yeah. or something like that. Uh, and the, the way that he went about that and and talked to people who did have that information, like he talked to his sister, who's, who's kind of an academic, in game design and he talked to um, some of the, the consultants that do this type of work around helping game companies figure out what types of games they should make if they wanna target a specific audience. Um, so that conversation was a lot of fun as well. And, and it was neat because you could look at where that work ended up in terms of like real big AAA games you know, that mm-hmm. everybody's familiar with and everybody's yeah. played.
0: Yeah. And then, and then we, I'm just thinking it's the AAA games that we tend to talk about the most, isn't it? So the, the mm-hmm. kind of Call of Duties and the GTAs, um, which for people listening who have no idea what I'm talking about there, that's Call of Duty gets, gets colloquialized as to COD. Um, yeah. And you've got your Black
1: Ops. And, and COD and blops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Call of Duty Black Ops. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, but really
1: all you need to know is that these days is Fortnite, right? Because that's the king of everything. And if you know that, then you know about what 80% of kids are playing, it seems like
0: um do you know do you know i will say what was really interesting when i was presenting a couple of uh a couple of saturdays ago i actually showed um a picture of me dressed up as master chief and i was like, i know quite sad but i i showed i <laughs> showed awesome. and i said to people does anybody know who this is and i expected and this is this is quite a an interesting concept from my perspective the males in the audience i expected to know who it was and I was actually quite dumbfounded that on both presentations, so I did it in the morning and the afternoon, nobody knew who it was. Yeah. And I was going, okay. So I flicked the next slide and went, does everybody know what this is? A fortnight was in every parent's, you know, it mm-hmm. was in their lexicon. And there they were going, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And I yeah. said, do you, actually, do you actually know what the game is? And a lot of them said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. So that, to be perfectly honest, that's the reason I want to speak to Rachel Cowork, because mm-hmm. this is about having a conversation about talking to your children, um, which <laughs> regularly comes up on this podcast that that's that's how we can um, parent and efficiently, you know, provide safeguarding procedures is if we know what the children are doing. Um, yeah,
1: even do better than talk to them, actually play some games with them.
0: Um. Yeah, which there's i don't know if you've ever spoken to this person actually um andy robertson so he is so. In this country he is writing a book called um i wanted to say gamification then because that's at the tip of my tongue about something i wanted to ask you um is it getting gamers something like that taming gaming that's what he's called it huh. and um it's about speaking to parents and and saying you know play this game with your child you'll find that this is one of the ways to work with them and and so on and so forth and I think he's had quite a few contributors to the book
1: cool Um, I'll be on the lookout for that
0: so I I spoke to him about what happens in terms of uh, involving parents so I often give um, and this isn't a podcast about me but I'm just going to give a quick example I ask a question about um, the spaghetti test so I'll say to parents how long does it take to cook spaghetti And and you generally get lots of different answers and it might be 12 minutes or seven minutes. And then I said, but what about whole wheat pasta? You know, that's a different kind of pasta and that takes longer to cook, bearing in mind if you want it this way, that way, or the other way. And it's the same for some of the games that children play. Hmm. You need to find out, for example, if they're, and and I'm going to go back to Halo. Uh, If for example, somebody's playing capture the flag, they might be with a team of, you know, 20, 30 other players. And if you decide that you're going to turn that console off on that child, you're not just affecting that moment, that game. There's the potential for the bullying the day afterwards about, oh, your mum turned it off. There's also the fact that you might now have sabotaged that team's uh, chances right. of winning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and giving that bit of knowledge to parents. So I was I was just thinking. Um, so why did gamification pop up in my head? I think because I think that's one of the most complex. Um, uh, kind of concepts that I think parents do, don't they? They try to make things games at home. You know, we'll we'll have mm. a competition around this. Um, but I, I think in terms of when you've spoken to, and I'm trying to remember the name of the person you spoke to about gamification, and it's gone. So you you did an episode on gamification, didn't you? So about, I did
1: a, a, a recent one with um, Richard Landers, uh, who, who is an academic...
0: Uh, uh-huh.
1: Who who writes a lot about um, the science of gamification does a lot of research around gamified systems and so forth. And then I talked to I think it was Carl Cap about gamification in the classroom, um, in a, in an educational context.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's what I'm finding when I'm talking to parents is they think when I'm when I talk games that they think I mean um, in in light of gamification. You know, well, we'll fortnight's something different, Kath. And I say, well, actually, it isn't. So mm. that's about certain things happening in the gaming world, and and so on and so forth. But I'm going to come back to. Um, so, yeah this this video game debate, the the long standing debate about whether they're good, whether they're bad, um, mm. whether they're positive, whether they're negative. And and the answer is
1: yes. They're all the <laughs> All of all, all of yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So what what would you say has been your biggest learning around? What you've what you've kind of interviewed people around. So, in terms of games, what didn't you know that you know now? That might be. Yeah, Uh,
1: I think the I think the 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 violence question that I kind of described before is is one possible answer to that question, and another might be um, just the extent to which actually companies these days have people with, with our backgrounds, with, you know, psychology backgrounds, like working on games and working in game, game sure. studios. Um, so that there are people in there who are doing a lot of uh, work to try to make games more engaging or to try to figure out, you know, what ha- gives people trouble learning how to play the game or try to, trying to manage communities and build communities and makes, make people behave with more uh, you know, make them behave themselves and have better sportsmanship you know, when they're they're playing the games and you kind of get this, um, you know, whenever somebody talks about psychology of games, like a lot of people react with, oh, they have them in there and they're trying to like do evil. Like they're, they're trying to like (laughs) trick your brain and trying to brainwash you into doing things and and parting you, parting with your money. And, and the answer is, well, sometimes, but I actually think like marketing people are already actually pretty good at that (laughs) and they've been doing it for decades. But the truth is that you know a lot of these people who are either working directly for game developers, publishers or they're consultants who come in to be hired to consult on projects um, they're really just trying to make the games better for the players and more enjoyable for the players for the most part you know there there's always people in there who are doing various other things, but there there are a lot of people who are trying to apply the stuff that I write about and talk about. Um, to make games more enjoyable and to ha- help people have better experiences, to help improve things like user experience and uh, user interface design is sort yeah. of a big field where a lot of people with these talents uh, tend to end up.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that,
1: that was a pleasant surprise just and, and in doing research and finding out like, actually like in the last 10 years, how much more good academic research there has been on these questions as mm-hmm. opposed to just, hearsay or opinion or moral panic or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, well that that's hopefully. Um so I know that my podcast covers lots and lots of different topics, but that's that's essentially what I'm trying to do around this gaming topic. Mm-hmm. And whilst um, whilst I think in the United Kingdom people might not have come across your podcast, I think I have mentioned you quite a few times when um, when I've been talking because I'll say, well, it, it, there's an episode on that in in POG, and there's an episode on um, cyber security in this one, and I mm-hmm. talk about you know I mean all the way through from porn addiction, cyberbullying, cybersecurity to gaming. Um, but for me, I think I'm I am definitely an advocate for the children here saying actually when the designer of a game says okay how can we make this more enjoyable and fun okay I'm not I'm purposefully not choosing the word addictive um, <laughs> there is something about how can we make it stimulating how can we engage as many of the senses as possible and I, I will repeatedly say when you watch a child playing a game so this has been my experience of my children who are now in their 20s I would be absolutely flabbergasted in the background. They'd be holding the console um, controller in their hand, headset on, saying, right, over here, they'd have, you know, maybe the iPad at the side and they'd be switching mm-hmm. and flicking about with their weapons, yep. talking to somebody on the screen, giving away directions, which I could not understand for Toffee, you know, over here near the so-and-so. And I'm saying, well, doesn't it need to be like 12 o'clock, 300 metres, bit yeah. more specific. <laughs> and whomever they are playing with, there was this understanding about here means here Mm -hmm. and i still can't get my head right no matter how much psychology training and and psychotherapy and human behavior understanding i have i still don't understand that bit about how two players in two separate houses can know exactly where this this point is the rendezvous point that they're talking about without there being specific markers for it
1: yeah you just they develop really good mental maps uh, of those environments and they become familiar enough and they can look at uh, where their teammates are, you know, on a compass or a mini map, and sort mm-hmm. of understand when they say "in front of me," like what that means, and that means down, down this hall hallway with the two big boxes and you know the stuffed bear or whatever uh, it, it mm-hmm. may. Um, and it just comes; it comes with practice and familiarity.
0: Yeah. Well, I th- I think there's something about habituation to the game, isn't there? That what they're what mm-hmm. they're actually doing. And I'm trying not to sound like an academic at the moment, but there is something <laughs> about I yeah. But watching it as my children grew up, I was absolutely fascinated by it, and I'd, I'd be saying, "How do you know what they mean? What do you mean by that, being told to shut up in the background?" You know. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just wondering about have have you any inte- or have you found anybody who's doing um, research around the cognitive abilities of children who are processing information? Now, I'm going to veer off slightly here into a topic called flow, which I know. Um, Tony, Tony and I have got a, a, an interest in this, Tony Bean, um, for people who mm-hmm. are listening. So I'm really interested in if a child can look at a heads up display, look at a map in the corner, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Still process what they're doing in in the moment. And again, like you're talking about, have this mental map internally represented as well. Mm-hmm what does that mean for when they're processing information in a classroom? What does that mean when they're processing information? So I don't know if that um, exists. That's just a curiosity
1: of mine. So I've, I've read some research um, that's not on children. So I can't say of anything that I know about where they've they've gotten children because like doing this kind of research with children is, is fraught with all kinds of problems because, you know, like ethics review boards treat certain groups of people, children chief amongst them as extremely mm-hmm. at risk. And you have, they yeah. are very careful about what they'll let you do and you can't do anything that might potentially harm them in any way, uh, or it's yeah. difficult to get approval to do that. So as a result, unfortunately, in some ways, most of the research tends to be done on young adults, um, college students, university students yeah. for the most part. But there has been, done, has been some research that I've read looking at the kinds of questions you just asked about that Population. And, you know, they found evidence that uh, people who play a lot of first person shooter uh, action games, for example, are, are better at quickly um, m- moving their attention back and forth from various mm-hmm. sources. So, you know, what psychologists kind of call multitasking, which isn't actually multitasking, it's just very quickly changing your focus, your, your attention. Uh, but it, it amounts to the same thing in practice where they're able to take in all of this information very quickly and, and switch around. Um, they tend to be they tend to be better at that that kind of thing. They tend to be better at um, looking at a scene and sort of picking out details, especially important details. So you know they might look at a at a scene in a first person shooter game and they can immediately see that okay, over there is like an enemy player, or over there mm-hmm. is like a health pickup, or that kind of thing. So they can visually and auditorily too. So they've done tests to see uh, that gamers are uh, action gamers are better at telling when like a sound shifts from this side of your head to this side of your head or moves around in sort of a, a 3d sound space. Um, so they're, they're good at detecting those at, at perceptual tasks like that, where they detect slight differences or changes or movement, that kind of stuff. Um, the question of transfer, you know, is open, I think. And generally is that these types of skills don't transfer to anything that is not, highly similar to what they're doing in the game so learning to memorize uh you know a bunch of statistics or uh remember where things are on a map um does not help you remember where you put your car keys you know for example (laughs) in -hmm. real life so a lot of these sort of brain building cognitive you know exercise type things don't typically hold up when you apply them to real world uh, situations where you're trying to transfer that learning or that task performance to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but you know that that type of research has been out there to show that uh, that, the, that within a certain narrow scope that those skills do improve
0: yeah well i'm I'm thinking here about um so it's whilst it's a curiosity of mine because I'm really, really interested in um particularly when children are playing games if they get into the the um the state known as flow so mm-hmm. flow is um and i think this might have been on one of, your, one of your episodes where you were talking to somebody about goal setting and challenges so when mm-hmm. you skill set and your challenge set it, it, they're slightly apart you get this beautiful channel channel that the mm-hmm. flow genome project called that that's the flow channel and it's skill set versus ch- um challenge skills right. and it, just outside your comfort zone by about four percent, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's where you'll hit the sweet spot, and you suddenly become, you know, really adept at what you're doing. And what I'm finding is when I'm talking to, um, so I, I actually use games in therapy, a bit like um, it's one of the reasons I interviewed Tony. And mm-hmm. what I find is when I'm when I'm working with these children, <clears> they very very quickly become focused <laughs> on the game that they're playing in hand because it's it's familiar and they know what they're doing. Right. And then what I have to say to the parent is, well, you know, this game is not the same as being in the playground. This game is not the same as being in the, the um, I don't know, the kitchen or in the classroom or wherever it is. Yeah, and doing just, your homework. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. And I was, I was trying to think of a way to, because the term the term in psychology is generalisation, isn't it? It's where you take mm-hmm. specific information and, and, and generalise it and then, why that's so difficult for parents to understand you know but he's so good at this but not so good at that and yeah. and I was just thinking if you had actually spoken to anybody who does any work with children because again I feel like I'm pretty much on my own in that area of being able to talk to people because you've got to be a pretty much interested in it be somebody who can work with children and right. and I'm I'm privileged that i tend to get around some of the ethical bodies because i actually work with children so i've Mm -hmm. already got that in
1: under my you've uh, got your own code of ethics and and mm -hmm. way that you go about things that protects them i'm sure
0: i'm well yeah if i didn't i'd have my fingers wrapped you know very quickly (laughs) um yeah so i again i'm thinking here about another behavior which i know you've done an episode on which is um you know toxic behavior Mm -hmm. in, in gaming um so again that was Kind of kind of people looking at adults wasn't it in terms of why we engage in toxic behavior so I was going to ask you to talk about that in terms of uh, your episode that you did but what what you found out because obviously when I think about toxic behavior I'm usually talking to parents about children who have been cyberbullied because that's yeah. the that's the layman's term that we now use to cover all aspects of any kind of toxicity
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, an episode that I did with Jeff Lynn, who at the time was um, working at, uh, for one of the big, massively, multi- or not massively multiplayer, but the, the big MOBA games, um, like League of Legend and mm-hmm. uh, Heart, uh, League of Legend and uh, what's the other big one, Dota 2, uh, are, are kind of the big two. And they had a lot of problems with toxic- toxicity. In their player base, where people would <clears throat> abuse each other and yell very nasty, unkind kinds of things—things things that I'm sure would be classified as bullying if if you wanted to to look at them in that way—and um, mm-hmm. very unsportsmanlike behavior—and they wanted to kind of know, like, well, how can we improve this? Because this is a big problem. It's giving, it's providing a bad experience for some players. It's it's giving us a hit on our reputation. We're kind of the butt of jokes around this this sort of thing. Um, so they had, you know, some groups of players look at research on things like anonymity and uh, what's called deindividuation, which is when you, you feel like you're kind of just part of a crowd as opposed to an individual. So I'm not me, I'm part of this group and thus what I do, you know, I don't pay as much attention or self-monitor, I don't do as much self-monitoring on my behavior and I feel like if I do something it'll be attributed to the crowd and not me individually. So yeah. that can lead to either pro-social behavior or anti-social behavior, toxic behavior, depending on the circumstances. But that's what they tried to look at. And it's like, well, how can we shape those circumstances so that people aren't as toxic? And they, they did some things around group size in in their games and they would group people who are friends together, maybe like two or three friends together, and then fill that team out with a couple of strangers. And they found that because the friends were being friendly with each other, the strangers picked up on that and started being friendly as well. Mm -hmm. They did some, some experiments around like letting people choose which heroes they wanted to play or uh, in in the match. uh, And cause that was sort of a a source of contention a lot of times uh, when people would, um, you know, pick somebody that somebody else wanted to pick or not pick a, a role that somebody else thought needed to be filled. Uh, they did some research around um, just like banning and muting and and shutting people down and how effective that, that kind of thing was. Mm. Um, so again, it was a real fascinating uh, look at the application of psychological theory to this very practical, real-world problem of, of toxic behavior.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I was I was quite interested in some of the techniques that we used because there was um there was almost a um a group a group norm that uh, originated mm-hmm. wasn't there? it kind of um I'm trying not to talk like a psychotherapist or an academic because, like I said to you, it's not an academic podcast. <laughs> uh, there was a there was a fluidity to how it became acceptable and non acceptable behaviour, and what what wow. I was interested in is that actually happens with the children as well. So um, imagine, yeah on on Fortnite, what does happen is a lot of children, especially in therapy, will talk about you know they've been kicked or booted or pushed. Depends on what terminology they're using at the time, and I've actually. This is why I'm using the term cyberbullied. So the parents will say they're being cyberbullied on the game. And and what we're talking about are group processes, you know. So let's go back to um, uh, a noob, okay, which is a okay. term that you're probably um, familiar with being a gamer and yep. being a gamer of slightly over four, four or five years because it is an old <laughs> term.
1: Um, yeah, it's been
0: around. Yeah, yeah the, there's something about you get given this name. So when, to be perfectly honest, when I was in the army, you get called green so green is new new out of uh, a bit like new out of training um and not ripe yet not not absolutely yeah Yeah. so so this was this was kind of like the same behavior that i was watching in terms of how adults are Mm -hmm. and i was kind of explaining to parents saying well actually this is this is what would happen in a playground it's group process you know you've got the the storming norming for well sorry forming storming norming and then reforming and and what you actually get are these different phases and children Mm. are perfectly capable of managing that quite often between themselves, I think the dynamic might change a little bit when they're playing with adults. So I've spent a long time looking at um, YouTube videos with my kids of adults that have um, teased, bullied young people and then recorded it, but I've also seen it vice versa. Mm. So I've actually seen a lot of the children absolutely... Go you know, after adults Oh absolutely yeah, huh. about they're, they're, Obviously they don't use terms like noob um, But basically <laughs> saying you're rubbish uh, You want to get some more practice in um, Muting them, kicking them And I'm fully aware that there are adults who play Fortnite Alongside um, a, a number of these young people mm-hmm. So I actually see it the other way around That it's the adults that tend to get a bit more stick Than um, the, the younger people <sighs>
1: yeah yeah and it's it's interesting because when you go into a, a new situation or, or a weird situation like playing an online game, especially playing an online game uh, for the first time or that you're new to, and with a bunch of strangers that that you don't know, and you are lacking a lot of the cues that we we would have in face to face interactions, um so you can't look for authority symbols, you can't look at facial expressions and nonverbals you can't yeah. you know do that kind of thing like we have done for most of our human history. So what happens is that you get um, really sensitive to cues as to how to behave. So it's like, this is weird. I don't know what to do. How should I act? What's acceptable in this situation? And the places that you look are people around you. So the people in your group, the people you're interacting with, they can very quickly set the tone for like what is acceptable in this social situation mm-hmm. how do i behave and is it acceptable to call somebody a noob or worse um is it acceptable to use gendered insults or racial slurs yeah um curse you know cursing all that kind of stuff is it acceptable to harshly criticize somebody's performance and i think one of the most important and powerful messages for for kids and adults there is that like most of the time, the other people that you're interacting with are in the same situation you are. They're just like you in that they're in this weird situation. And they're looking for cues on how to behave. So you actually have the opportunity to take the lead there and be friendly and sort of set the tone. And people are much more likely to be friendly in return when it is this sort of awkward, unusual situation. Like they'll look for that and cue into that. So, you know, I've seen a lot of instances where You'll jump into a game, like I've been playing a lot of uh, Apex Legends, which is the new Battle Royale. It's it's like Fortnite. It's a lot like yeah. Fortnite. Um, and I've had a lot of situations where, you know, immediately I'll just jump in and do a mic check and say, hey, how's everybody doing today? You know, what do you think our chances are to win this match? And just kind of chatting up with people. And some people are radio silent. Don't, don't say a word. Other people, uh, though, tend to chat back and, and have a conversation. And then, you know, this is anecdotal and I'm just kind of looking at this myself, but you then see a lot more behaviors like people offering to share equipment or, or call out locations of things that other Mm -hmm. people might need or wait for the rest of their team before moving on and, you know, and getting in a firefight. Uh, So it can be really powerful. And I think it's, it's very empowering for kids to know that, uh, to have, to know that they can have an outsized effect on, on how that situation goes.
0: Mm -hmm. well this oh that was just lovely because if any part of this podcast could be absolutely um for what (laughs) parents could learn from actually this this is the thing isn't it is it they are quite a pleasant place game games online Mm -hmm. uh, versus the you know the the moral panic that sits around um children will be groomed by pedophiles because i think that's what happened not so long ago in the media here is um, the national crime agency has said children are going to be groomed on the platform of Fortnite. And, and, you know, being the critical thinker I am, I kind of went, well, it's been happening on all platforms for a long time. It's right. not just Fortnite, you know. But what does happen is the children are generally, when when they are in the grooming process, will be taken from Fortnite to another platform where that can happen separately. So when, when I'm talking to parents, I'm saying, look, if they're playing on Fortnite, they're not on another platform that's suspicious that you don't know about. Yeah, so, sit with your children, watch how they talk to people, and and you know it's very very comical. A lot of the stuff, um, yeah. I do find that there's a shared, um, yeah, there's like a shared humor about what you're all doing, and mm-hmm. it's almost like everybody gets what's happening. So when somebody does make a mistake, it isn't uh, they're not they're not absolutely crucified for it. You know, you might get a bit of a well, that didn't work. Um, try better next time, sucker. And it's it's a bit less aggressive than i think parents do think and i think that's what i'm trying to do with this kind of gaming section at the moment yeah try and communicate this is a really good place for children most of the time and i'm, I'm using kind of the quantifier there because sometimes it may not be mm-hmm. but that's also about um spending time with the children allowing them to have a certain amount of hours gaming right. and that there is there are rules and boundaries around it mm-hmm. um you know as i said the other week i'm not saying allow children on the games forever but have a have a conversation with your children but um particularly around what are you doing where's the next save point what do you need to do next mm-hmm. and you know five minutes until your dinner's cooked
1: yeah so, why did you why did you choose this character over another why why did you yeah. engage why did you take on this strategy instead of that one and you know, people love to talk about what they do. And, and gamers, if you give them a chance, a lot of times will talk your ear off about, about the game that they're enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on your relationship with your kid, someone may be like, shut up, dad, you know, leave me alone. I just want to play my game. But, you know, if you, if you're insistent and insert yourself into that situation, and if you actually find a way to like play with them, uh, you know, yeah. my my daughter and I played games all the time like we put in tons of time playing like overwatch which is a competitive online shooter yeah um that she got way better at than me uh in, uh-huh. in short order um but it was fun and we that's the sort of stuff we would talk about over the dinner table
0: yeah uh, i think i've heard you talk quite a few uh, got on, on quite a lot of the podcast you talk about mm-hmm. um kind of you've got two children haven't you one right. one's a gamer one isn't and pretty much yeah that's what it's like to have a family isn't it is mm-hmm. here we are some children like it some children don't some children like you know for example minecraft building that kind of community other children like the idea of you know being able to shoot people chop their legs off and all the rest of it
1: yeah and the other thing that i i I, i've seen personally and heard a lot about is that a lot of time games and and sort of the fandom around games is a launch pad for other interests right so Mm -hmm. people because they're very interested interested in a game will learn how to make digital art or make, learn how to make art about it. They'll learn how to make YouTube videos and sort of learn some video and and audio processing and engineering skills there. Mm -hmm. They'll learn, you know, they'll write fan fiction and, and, and practice those skills. They'll um, do all of these kinds of things that are only because they're fans of the games and doesn't involve playing the game at all. And, you know, they'll learn to code they'll create mods for games or, or create games of their own. Uh, and it's, it is, it can be a really great way for somebody to learn other skills, skills that you would be ecstatic if they learned in, in a school context, but they're just kind of going out and learning on their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think would be an important message and an important um, concept for parents to really understand in terms of, you know, why why we play games. So this is asking you to sum up all of your <laughs> podcast episodes, really. I think that's, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we like to play games. The answer is that there are many reasons, and those reasons vary across people. So there's been a lot of research and a lot of investigation into sort of what are the motivators to get somebody to play games. And you can look at different, Game experiences, and you can say, Okay, some people prefer exploration, some people prefer heavy elements, some people prefer heavy competition, uh, some people prefer expression where they get to create and customize and the The array of experiences that you have if you want to play games is a wide one and mm-hmm. and you can find something that works for you, so that that's kind of that's kind of the real if somewhat unsatisfactory answer is that it varies a lot, but in, you know, in general games give us those types of experiences a lot of times more readily and better than real world experiences can. So, you know, Mm -hmm. games are very good at giving you feedback and options to, to be expressive and uh, autonomy. Games are good at making you feel important to other people. Um, Games are good at letting you feel a sense of mastery and progression and all of those types of things are sometimes come very slowly or very dearly in a school context uh, yeah. or a work context or even a family context where I don't know until the end of the semester or maybe the middle of the semester if I'm doing well in school, and you know, until I get grades or I get a grade back on a project.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I may never get really good feedback about my job that I that I work um, and how well I'm doing there. And I may never know why I don't get a promotion or or feel like I'm developing skills. I may not get an opportunity to even practice new skills. Uh, I may not know how the work that I do affects other people, or I may not understand like how the group project that I work on in school um, really affects other people, or even if it does, or maybe I do know for sure that it doesn't. Um, but games scratch all of those itches. They satisfy all of those needs in a, in a much better mm-hmm. way than real life often does. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think You know, we turn to games and not just games, things like sports and uh, other entertainment, like, you know, watching movies and reading books and so forth. But games are kind of unique, especially in that they give you feedback about your performance and they let you kind of co-create experiences with along with the game.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Two of my favorite, favorite kind of words in there, which are co-creation and Mm -hmm. um, feedback, because Mm -hmm. that's that's the point that I keep saying to people is, uh, yeah, jobs. You get an appraisal once a year um and if actually you're it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i well i don't because i don't have anybody that um i c- well i do i have supervision but i don't mm-hmm. actually have a boss um so I, i'm just thinking that there's something here about if parents knew this i'm just thinking it'd be great when i can get to speak to uh, rachel cower and i can talk about kind of the parenting side of things as well mm-hmm. um, that this this is why games are so popular and they might not all be console games as well you know these might be the ones that they have on their smartphones on their yeah. ipad um and that what children do learn for me is many many skills that they don't get That unfortunately because i work a lot with trauma and abuse that is my specialism that they, these are children who don't have the capabilities of Learning that within their families or the school context because of trauma and because of the family situation. Yeah. So for me, when I when I, for example, when I'm playing the week with some of the children, I get to see um, levels of frustration. I get to see how they manage their own emotional regulation and mm-hmm. what it is they think that they should be doing in the game versus what's actually happening. And we kind of use the feedback as a way to do the quick deep therapy that might take me months and months yep. and months to do with words. So I, I see the benefit of them it, therapeutically as well as um, in in terms of just having a bit of enjoyment switch off.
1: Yeah. The the therapists that I've had on the podcast and, and talked to otherwise have, have made that point as well, that like, if you want to have conversations with the kids, you need to understand what it is that they're into and, and mm. use that as a bridge. Um, so, yeah. you know, you can't, plop down a a checkerboard like you used to uh if you want to like sit down with a kid and get them to open up you need to you know you need to set up a minecraft server and you like start playing with them and and then sort of use that to understand like how they communicate and how they deal with frustration how they understand whether or not they understand how other people see them or whatever it is that that you're working on with them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah for me for me I think the, the most powerful part of the tools has been so far is talking with children about who strangers are and how to work out mm. um friendly versus unfriendly savory versus unsavory mm-hmm. and and that's bit that's been the the biggest part of it's tough for
1: adults to do much less um, kids yeah
0: <laughs> well yeah because actually manipulators are good at manipulating and mm-hmm. that's what you know unsavory people are very good at right so um Oh, wow. I wish I could keep talking to you, Jamie. I've got so many, so many questions. Um, but what I am going to do is direct people to your podcast because, um, I mean, it's it's what, forty forty five 45 hours. It's only a couple of days if they just sat and listened to them back.
1: Sure. Back. Yeah. Just don't, um, don't go to sleep and bang through <laughs> uh, it in a couple of days.
0: Yeah. Um, but also this is... Um, after after the presentation that i gave the other week this is one of them that i know people will come to with it being a fresh one obviously the new subscribers are going to get a notification that there's a new episode out mm-hmm. um so this this might be really really helpful for the practitioners the other therapists um in and around the united kingdom
1: um, yeah and and i think it's worth noting that in everything that i've done in this space so you know the the articles on the website and there's there's hundreds, literally hundreds of different articles that I've written in in text form, Um, the book, the podcast, I try to make everything like appropriate for the layperson. So, you know, there may be some some gaming lingo in there, but I always kind of pause to like explain, you know, what we mean by that term. So, you know, I think anybody who is only moderately familiar with video games and, and the gaming culture you know, could come in and and understand what I'm talking about. And that's, that's very deliberate. Like I said, before we started recording, I see my role as more of like a popularizer of using psychology to make better games and to understand gamers and Mm -hmm. how to deal with games. So it's very, it's, it's not an academic, although I do cite a lot of original research and talk about studies, but it's always Mm -hmm. uh, in application to a real world issue or question or or design
0: yeah and and I don't want to try and emulate or copy what you're doing when I can send people to your <laughs> podcast there's yeah. there's almost something like don't don't try and take the glory from somebody else of something that already exists my my intention is to give lots and lots of different topics because um that the work that I do is unfortunately it does tend to be with the darker side of mm-hmm. issues and games and I am trying to balance, <laughs> I'm trying to balance it and say to people, actually, although you heard me tell you all of the scary stories, there is this fantastic stuff as well. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what the podcast set out to do. But we do, I do talk to a lot of people about the darker side of the internet and cyber criminals and cybersecurity and so on.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but this is, this is a way in of um, expanding people's views because I'm, I'm aware that I have a, a shelf at the moment that's probably got about 12 books that I need to catch up on and get through. <laughs> um, along with all of the research, reading is something I do for pleasure as as well as um, the necessity of part of my research. I know that podcasts are the way to, to kind of go with people because they can listen to them when they're in the car, when they're sat waiting for their child at the playground. Right. And, and this is why I've, I've intentionally started to do this podcast in the way that I have. So. Okay. Yeah, thank you for the podcast. I just want to say, as one of your listeners, actually, thank you for your podcast because it's been really helpful in... um, So some of the... I mean, my background is um, I am a geek. I did work in and around gaming industry. Um, Mm -hmm. I've I've got computers as a background. It's nice, actually, for somebody else to go off and do the research and talk to somebody else. And I I get an hour's worth of information, but it's not. It's more than that. It's probably decades. Mm -hmm. So... I'm I'm really going to recommend people do come and listen to your podcast and Great. your book and, you know, and Fun. have a look at the research that's on there as well. As I said earlier, you know, I, I often go on there to see what there is that I don't know about, which, you know, cyberspace is massive. There's plenty I don't know about. And this is yeah. why I'm kind of talking to people like you.
1: That's a team effort. And thanks. <laughs> I appreciate all the kind words
0: um well yeah yeah um and and i'm going to try that with tony and see if i can get a free book <laughs> mine, hasn't, mine hasn't turned up from amazon yet so there we are <laughs>
1: right that thank should you work.
0: yeah thank you so much and um hopefully i'll get to talk to you again because there might be another episode and some sure. of the questions i've still got left over that i i really want to ask
1: i'm always happy to come on and, and talk shop about this stuff it's fun oh
0: brilliant thank you podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.